Happy New Year. Happy New Year. I always get excited about the potential that a new year holds. I don't know what 2022 holds. I don't know if it'll be better than 2021 or 2020, or if it might be worse. But I do know who does know. And we can draw great confidence from him and the knowledge that he promised he would always be with us. Because the reality is that whether you are ready for 2022 or not, it's here. It's happening. One day at a time. And it's not too late. I love that message in there. You're not too old. You're not too young. You're not too far gone. You're not too anything for God's love to reach you. It's not too late. Whatever 2021 brought, good or bad, there is a fresh start available to us. And last Sunday, I encouraged you to take some time to pause and to reflect and to process. And I was really blessed by all the text messages that I got on Sunday of people doing just that. Hey, pastor, I just did it. Or, hey, pastor, I'm just about to. Or, we're going to go here. We've carved out the time. We've set the place. And we're going to go and we're going to pause and reflect. And there was a resource that was made available to you. And if you missed that, it's on the tables as you leave right in front of the offering plates. Uh, so you can grab one of these and take it with you. It's, it's not too late to do this. It's not too late. This would be an hour or two well spent. I, I woke up a little early one of these days this past week and I had the house to myself and it was quiet and I got out my journal and I, I went through each of these questions and I filled several pages and I dog-eared it so I can go back and put it on my calendar a month from then to go back and to spend time reviewing what God had said to me. So I encourage you to do that. Um, this weekend is, is sort of a transitional weekend. This week I talked last week about being sort of a transitional week, right? Where you're not even sure what day it is and the kids aren't in school and people are visiting or you're visiting people or you're not working or you're not working as much or, you know, just things are a little off. And, and it is a transitional week in some ways. Next week we're going to be starting a new series titled Unexpected. And I was planning to start it this week and then unexpectedly <laughs> I realized God wanted me to to spend some time on what we're going to talk about today because there is a beautiful illustration of God's love and of this brand new year that is set before us and, and what can compel us in the year ahead. What can move us forward? And so the message today is titled, Compelled. And we're going to be looking at Matthew chapter 3, which is itself sort of a transitional chapter. You've got the birth narrative and the nativity story in Matthew 1 and 2. We've been talking about that in our Weary World Rejoices. We referenced a number of passages from that. But Matthew 3 and 4 are a little bit transitional. There's like 25 years that takes place between the end of Matthew Two in the beginning of Matthew 3, and, and there's some things that are taking place, that preparations are being made. And so I see sort of Matthew 3 as a chapter about preparation, and I see Matthew chapter 4 as a, a chapter about temptation. And then the ministry begins in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 with the Sermon on the Mount and, and all the healings and all the miracles and everything that comes from that. But today in Matthew chapter 3, at the beginning of the chapter, we've been introduced to John the Baptist, who was there to prepare the way for Jesus. If you know the Christmas story, you know that John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin, that he came to Zechariah and Elizabeth, who were relatives of Mary, and, and he came and he was, it was declared at that time, his purpose was to prepare the way for the Messiah, to prepare the way for Christ. And so we get some introduction to him, and then a really beautiful illustration of some very, very good news 
takes place at the end of Matthew chapter 3, and that's what we're going to look at today. So if you have a Bible from, from the seats in front of you, it's going to be page 1499. If you're joining us online, it'll be on screen or you can get a Bible. Uh, but this is a, one of my favorite stories in all of Scripture. It's about the baptism of Jesus, and I want to read it to you. He says, Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, and do you come to me? Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. And then John consented. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he went up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my Son. Whom I love, with him I am well pleased. And so I talked about Matthew 3 as a a chapter of preparation. We see John the Baptist preparing the way for Jesus' ministry. And then we see right here, I believe, God preparing Jesus for what lay ahead. What lay ahead immediately with the temptation that comes in chapter 4 after he's in the wilderness for 40 days and and he has no food, no drink, and you think, how's he even surviving? And now on the heels of that, the enemy comes, Satan comes to tempt him with bread, with applause or acclaim from people, with authority that that Satan would somehow give to to Jesus. If you know the story, you say, man, he didn't have a lot to go with, did he? But he tempts Jesus probably most powerfully in this area of identity. And we see God reminding Jesus and establishing Jesus' identity just before that. We see God preparing Jesus for what lay ahead when he says in verse 17, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. That was his identity. He was the beloved child of God whom God was well pleased And this begs the question, what is God preparing you for? Maybe as you've thought over the past year or you've thought about the year ahead, maybe you can see some things on the horizon. You might be wondering, God, what are you preparing me for? What are you trying to tell me about me? About you? About what I can do to impact your kingdom in this year ahead. What is God preparing you or your family for? And I've been thinking about what is God preparing Linwood for? What is God preparing our family of families for? What is God preparing his church around the world for? Things have been happening. Are those things in preparation for something? And so we should pray through that. We should think through that. We should ask God on a regular basis, what have you been preparing me for? What is lying ahead? What, What can I do How can I prepare myself for what you have for me? But as we think about this topic of preparation and we think about what was immediately going to happen to Jesus in Matthew chapter 4 and what was ultimately going to happen to Jesus in Matthew 25, 6, and 7, it strikes me, and, and perhaps the main thing that stands out to me from this passage every time I read it, is that God declares Jesus' identity as being completely loved and accepted before his ministry ever began. Before he did anything, before there were any healings, before there were any miracles, before there were any feedings of the multitudes, before there were any demons cast out, before he went to Calvary and died for the sins of all people. 
God declares the relationship that they share. He declares, this is my beloved son whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And the good news of the gospel, the good news of the gospel is that if we are in Christ, if we come to Christ, if we accept the gift that has been made available to us through the sacrifice that Christ made on our behalf, then we can have that relationship with the Father as well, that he can look at us and say, this is my beloved child whom I love, in whom I am well pleased. That we do not attain that on the basis of what we do. We attain that on the basis of what Christ has done for us. This is the gospel. And we have to remember this. I have to preach on this often because we need to be reminded of it often. Because I need to be reminded of it often. That we are not made acceptable in God's sight on the basis of what we have done. But on the basis of what has been done for us. In the person of Jesus Christ. And that compels us, and we're going to get to that, that compels us to live lives of faithfulness and obedience and gratitude to him for the gift that has been given to us. But we start on the basis of what Jesus has done for us. And this, if you think about it, if you go back through the Old Testament with that lens and through some other examples in the New Testament, you see that this isn't a foreign concept of God extending blessing and favor and acceptance before Something is done before the doing. If you look at Abram, before he was even Abraham, when he was Abram, he was promised greatness and blessing before he even left Haram. He was promised that he would become great and the great nation would come from him. Likewise, Jacob. God gave him land and promised him protection and blessing before Jacob did anything for God when he was still a liar and a cheater. And a swindler. God rescued the Israelites, called them and chose them and freed them from Egypt before they were even given the law that told them how to live in relationship with God. That the blessing and the favor and the acceptance came before the doing. And he miraculously delivered them for himself out of his relationship with them. And he entered into covenant with them on the basis of his love and his favor. And then we fast forward into the New Testament and we see examples of this as well, that Mary, when she is greeted by the angel Gabriel in the Christmas story, he says, Mary, you who have found favor with God. Before she did anything, before she had the Christ child growing up in her, before she endured the sneers and the whispers and the gossip of being pregnant out of wedlock, before she tried to keep the Messiah alive (laughs) as a young boy. I've had four of them. I can tell you it's no easy task. And in Jesus' ministry, he modeled this as well. In John chapter 8, with the woman caught in adultery, he says, neither do I condemn you before, he says, go and sin no more. There's a pattern in Scripture that it is not in our ability to make ourselves clean that God comes to us and accepts us. It is in our brokenness and in our sin that Christ comes to us. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It is in our brokenness and sinfulness that he comes to us and extends to us the gift of salvation, extends to us the gift of grace. So he comes not with condemnation, but with love and with grace. And this is the gospel. 
that we can live in this relationship with him, that we can have a new identity in Christ as a beloved child of God in whom he is well pleased before we do anything for him. In fact, I've used this equation before. It's, it's a short, simple way of complaining or explaining a, a really important truth that Jesus plus nothing equals everything, that we come to God on the basis of what Christ has done for us, not on the basis of any good thing that we have done. You see, religion says, do more, try harder, and if you do enough, God will be pleased with you as long as you do enough. But Christianity is a relationship with Jesus. It's a relationship with God through the person of Jesus. We come to God through him on the basis of what he has done for us, and we are accepted, we are received, we are beloved. before we do anything. In fact, there's danger in trying to tack anything on, to say, you know, Jesus, yes, you're great. Thank you so much for dying on the cross for me and everything, but I have this really impressive resume. I've done all these good things. I've volunteered here. I've gone there. I taught Sunday school. I give 10%. I've done all of these things. And, And so there's another equation that we have to understand. And Paul makes this really clear in places like Galatians and Romans, that Jesus plus anything equals nothing. That if we are coming to God and we have our own resume plus what Jesus did, we've missed it. There's nothing we can do to make ourselves acceptable to God's sight on our own. It is only through Christ and his his sacrifice on our behalf is all we need. Jesus plus nothing equals everything, but Jesus plus anything. Jesus plus circumcision, Paul says in Galatians. Jesus plus good works. Jesus plus... What I have done means we've missed it. We have to believe first. We have to put our faith and our hope and our trust in him first. And so even our mission statement here at Linwood is intentionally structured around this progression that we reach people for Christ. We want to proclaim the good news of Christ. We want to live it out in this world in such a way that people will be introduced to Jesus, that they will come to faith in Jesus, that they will see their need for a Savior and respond in faith to that, that they will, we will reach people for Christ. We will give them a place to belong. Whether we do that here in Sioux Falls through this congregation, we do that through missions partnerships that are reaching people for Christ and giving them a place to belong in places like Zambia and Northern Africa and China and Japan and Brazil and, and other places through those partnerships. It's all about reaching people for Christ and giving them a place to belong, giving them a family to belong to, a community to belong to. And then, to help them grow in their faith. Then, to help them become everything that God desires for them to become for their own good. Not that they're going to lose their salvation. Not that they're going to lose or that we're going to lose anything because we refuse or because we don't know or because whatever. We come to Christ through faith. We find a fellowship to belong. And we choose to become everything that he wants us to become. It occurs to me that I may have misspoke a moment ago. That if you refuse to become, then you're still good because of Jesus. And that's not what I intended to say. What I intended to say was we believe we receive God's grace. We have a family to belong to, the family of God, and we become 
everything that he desires for us to be. Our obedience is not a prerequisite for God's grace. You don't have to earn it. However, our love, our devotion, our obedience, our pursuit of holiness is the only logical response to so great a grace, to so great a salvation. That if we really get it, if we really understand what God has done for us in the person of Jesus Christ, then his love compels us, Paul says in 2 Corinthians. His love compels us to pursue him, to, to pursue him wholeheartedly, to grow in grace, to grow in love. His love compels us to love and devotion and obedience because it's the only re- logical response to what has been given to us. It's not that we're earning it with our love and our devotion and our obedience to God. It's already been given to us. We're responding out of gratitude at the miracle of grace that has come to us. In some ways, you might think of this, this love that God has for us, this initiating love. We talked in the weary world rejoices about how love goes first, that God went first with us. God went first with us in the person of Jesus Christ to bring us to him. It's almost like the love that we have for a newborn child. If you've ever held a newborn child, that child has done nothing for you. It's worthy of your love because it's your child. It hasn't paid any bills. In fact, it's created quite a few in most cases. It hasn't done any chores. It's added to the list of chores. And yet we love it with a wholehearted devotion, and that's just the slightest little fraction of the love that God has for us, of the the love that he extends to us because we're his. That's the basis of our love and acceptance and favor from God. Another example that comes to mind is the example of marriage, that in a a healthy marriage, you're not there for what your spouse can do for you. You're there for what you can do for your spouse, and you enter into this relationship, and, and you take on a new identity. The scriptures tell us the two become one, that we become one, not because we figure, like, well, this is a really good deal for me. I, I get this person to do all this stuff for me. No, that's not going to be a healthy marriage. It's a marriage where you look at each other and you say, I am here to serve you. I am here to love you. I'm here to be a vessel for God's love to throw, flow through me into your life. And there's a new identity that takes place. The two become one. They may take the same name. Because there's a new identity as the two have become one. And we are invited into the family of God. We are invited to come to God and to take on his name. And I was reminded this week of that commandment in the Ten Commandments. In Exodus 20, verse 7, it always sounds best in the King James Version, where it says, Thou shalt not take the Lord thy God's name in vain. You heard that one? Now, I always thought it meant don't cuss. Right? Don't say God and then a cuss word. That's taking the Lord's name in vain. And it absolutely is that, but it's not just that. It's so much more than that. In fact, the original language reveals that this taking his name is more covenantal or marriage language. It has to do with, the picture would be of a bride taking her husband's name in marriage and saying, don't do that in vain. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Don't take on his name, take on his identity, bear his name in vain by not giving yourself completely and exclusively to him. 
And this is why throughout the history of the Old Testament, when the people go astray, they're referred to as a wicked and adulterous nation, right? They're, they're referred as those that took the Lord's name in vain and departed from him and were not faithful to him. And the clearest picture that you can see of this comes in Hosea chapters 1 through 3. If you're intrigued by this concept at all, you'll see God telling the prophet Hosea to go and take a wife that will betray him, that will be adulterous. As a picture of God taking the nation of Israel as his bride and their unfaithfulness to him. And so we see in these human relationships, like a parent and a newborn baby, like a husband and a wife, just a glimpse, just a glimmer, just a shred, just a fraction of the love that God has for us, of the grace and and the mercy and the acceptance that is available to us through Jesus Christ, the new identity that is available to us through Jesus. And it is out of a response to that, that the love that God has given us, the love of Christ compels us. Second Corinthians says, Paul tells the Corinthian church that the love of Christ compels us in, in chapter 5, verse 14. And the New Living Translation even goes so far as to say the love of Christ controls us. I like compel because it gets us going. I like control because it keeps us going in the right direction. That Christ's love, if it is the motivator, if it is the initiator of every action in our lives, that it will not only compel us and move us forward, but that it will also control us and it will keep us moving towards him. And so at the beginning of 2022, that's my hope and my prayer for each and every one of you. It's my hope and my prayer for myself, for our whole congregation, that we would be compelled by love, that Christ's love would be compelling us, not fear that we're going to mess it up, not fear that we are going to not be good enough on the basis of something that we have done, but confident in the finished work of the cross that Jesus has done on our behalf, that our love and our gratitude for him in response to that would compel us would lead us into this new year, would compel us towards him with love and with hope and with courage. That we would choose his will over our own because it's better. Because his will for our lives is better than my will for my life can be until it is brought completely under the lordship of Christ. That we choose his will because it's better, like Paul said in Romans 12, too, that we would not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind, that we would test and approve God's good, perfect, and pleasing will. His will for us is so much better than our will for ourselves. And we have an opportunity because of the new relationship that we have with him, the new identity that we have because of Christ, to allow his love to compel us in everything that we do. So that it's not fear. You see, religion is kind of built on fear. There's a foundation of fear that you got to do more, you got to try harder so that God will love you, so that God will. And then you kind of end up in this, well, did I do enough today? Or did I, did I do too much bad? Am I, am I on the outs with God again? Am I in or out? And so fear is what's motivating you instead of love. And Christ, Christ died for us so that we could be in relationship with God the Father, motivated by love. First John 4.18 says, There is no fear in love, because for perfect love casts out fear. Fear has to do with punishment. Religion has to do with punishment and earning. But our relationship with Jesus has to do with the grace. And he says in 1 John 4, that anyone who fears is not perfected in love. Because perfect love casts out fear. That we have an opportunity to be motivated by love, not by fear. We have an opportunity to move through life 
desiring more and more and more of God, not afraid of what will happen to us if we do this or don't do that. And we may end up doing very similar things, but they come from a very different motivation, and it's really, really important that we understand. This idea of being compelled fits right into what I believe is our bottom line today as we kind of piece all of this together as we take the baptism and the marriage or the child analogy as we think about 2 Corinthians chapter 5 where it tells us that the love of Christ compels us. Our bottom line today is that the love of Christ compels us towards everything that he is and away from everything that he's not. The love of Christ compels us. And so if we have received that love and we are compelled by that love, it will compel us towards everything that he is, towards love, towards grace, towards mercy, towards the other fruit of the Spirit, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, that his love will propel us or compel us or control us as we move towards everything that he is and away from everything that he's not. That when we start to understand what we have not just been saved from, but saved to, we've been saved to everything that Jesus is. His love compels us towards that because he wants us to have those things in our lives. Not because he's going to get us if we don't, but because he wants us to have love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control flowing through our lives. His love compels us towards everything that Christ is. And then we keep in mind what we've been saved from, that we've been saved to a glorious eternity in heaven in the presence of God, but we've also been saved from everything that Jesus is not. We've been saved from anger and hatred and malice and fear and all of these other things that find their way into the sin lists in the Old Testament and the New Testament where we see what we do apart from God, what we do in the works of the flesh, what we do when we are not being compelled by love. Because his love compels us towards everything he is and away from everything that he's not. And so we have an opportunity today, on the second day of 2022, to respond in faith to that love. Maybe for the first time. Maybe there's somebody in the room or there's somebody watching online that has never quite heard it this way, that has never quite understood the good news of the gospel, that you have an opportunity to respond in faith to God's love today. To receive it. To enter into a relationship with him. Others might have an opportunity to take a step closer. To take a step of obedience. To take a step that's compelled by love. I said at the beginning, I don't know what 2022 holds. It might be better. It could be worse. Than 2021 or 2020. There's been a lot going on. But I can guarantee you one thing, and I have believed this wholeheartedly for the last seven years of my life, and I believe it today, that if you get closer to Jesus than you have ever been before, 2022 can be and will be the best year of your life. Come what may, good or bad. All the good things in the world could happen, and if you don't get closer to Jesus, that may not be the best thing for you. In fact, it might be pushing you farther away from him. But all the bad things that you can imagine could happen, but you get closer to Jesus than you've ever been before, this could be the best year of your life. We have to learn to measure good and bad by whether it's bringing us closer to Jesus, whether it's compelled by love, or it's bringing us farther from Jesus and is compelled by anything other than his love. And you might be saying, that's great, Pastor Mark. Thank you very much. How? How do I do it? 
Well, this should come as no surprise if you've been here before. Spend time in his word every day. Spend time in prayer every day. This is the diet and exercise of life with Christ. You know what I mean when I say that? You ever see somebody lose weight? And you're like, what do you do? I want the silver bullet. And they say, well, I, I, I focused on my diet and I exercised more. And you're like, dang it. I don't want to do diet and exercise. I want to do something else and lose all the weight. I, there may, and I say this tongue in cheek, there might be a way to get closer to God without more scripture and more prayer. But I don't think so. And I don't think it's in his word. We come to God. We come to his word. We spend time in it on a regular basis. Whether we understand it all or not, we're taking it in. We're reading the study notes. We're reading our study Bible. We're asking God to help it make sense to us. We're saying, I'm going to read this chapter of scripture, Lord. I want you to, I want you through your Holy Spirit to make one verse stand out to me. And I'll really focus in on that one. And I'll seek to apply that one to my life. And I'll seek to be different tomorrow because of what I read in the word today. And you spend time in prayer, and and so often we think prayer is head down, hands together, eyes closed. I hope not, because I pray a lot when I drive. And that's not a very good way to be driving around, is it? With your head down, your eyes closed, your hands folded. I think there are some people out there that do drive that way, and I run into them, and then I need to pray because of the response that I have in my flesh. But you can invite God into every moment of every day. You 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 could go to the store of your choice and get a $10 digital watch and set that watch to chime every hour to remind you to invite God into that hour. You could do that. You could have a smartphone and you could use the reminders app on your smartphone to put scripture in front of your eyes throughout the day, every hour, every two hours, every three hours. The scripture you want to memorize, just plug it into the reminders app and tell, remind me hourly from 7 a.m. to 7 p.m., I bet you memorize that scripture pretty quick. I bet that'd be a good way to be hiding his word in your heart. There are all kinds of ways that that we can leverage technology instead of it being a distraction to have it be something that points us back to God or brings God back into the equation. And so I want to encourage you, wherever you are, to take the next step, to take a step closer say, God, how could I know you better throughout this year what would help me to do that and then do it sometimes we make it a lot more complicated than it really is and maybe you're in the word on a regular basis and you're praying maybe it's now it's time for you to come alongside somebody else and to bring them and that's a whole nother level when you start to disciple somebody or you start to spiritually mentor somebody or you start sharing what God is saying to you with somebody else or a small group of people But I believe that's the vision, that it wouldn't stop with us, but it would flow through us into the lives of others, that his love would compel us, not only for ourselves, but for others. And so wherever you are, take the next step. Ask Jesus, what is the next step for me to take? What does it look like? And how can I do it? How can I be more compelled by love in the year ahead than the year behind? Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we are grateful for your word and we're grateful for your goodness and your grace that is extended to us on the basis of who you are. And we recognize, Lord, that we can't do anything to earn it. But it is so wonderful and so valuable and so precious to us, Lord, that we want to be compelled 
by your love. Help us to live lives of faith and hope and courage and devotion and obedience and the pursuit of holiness because it's what you want for us and you only want what's best for us. Help us, Lord, to respond to faith, respond in faith to what we've heard and to be compelled by love. In Jesus' name we pray.